suspicious. So this at this point, we would normally dismiss or forget one of the two to dismiss the, uh, the kids. So we're not dismissing them this time. So who's ever teaching, just go till next Sunday. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we want to go into the Word of God. And I want to touch a subject that we're very familiar with. <coughs> I've preached on many times. And so we want to take you to the book of, of Matthew, if you go with me there, into the uh, 16th chapter. I want to read a few verses. And I may be uh, more teaching this morning, but if we hit a shouting point, we'll do it, right? Say amen. So in the 16th chapter of Matthew, uh, go down to the uh, 21st verse. We could have read this in Luke and in other passages, Luke 9.23, we're very familiar with where we got our four D's for discipleship out of Luke 9.23. But we're going to read this in Matthew. And so just take a few moments. Um, I want to read this whole setting down to the end of the chapter. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that it was necessary for him to go away to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and to be killed. And to be raised on the third day. And then having taken him, Peter began to rebuke him saying, Gracious to you, Lord, this shall never be done to you. But turning, he said to Peter, Go behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you do not think, listen to this, For you do not think of the things of God but of the things of men. You do not think. Everybody say that with me. You do not think of the things of God, but of the things of men. And so we're going to talk about this, kind of this subject about thinking this morning. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, let him bear his cross, and let him follow me. Uh, Luke 9 23 says, let him take up, let him take up his cross. For whosoever shall desire to save his soul shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his soul for my sake will find it. <coughs> Here's a good one. For what shall it profit a man or what will a man be profited if he should gain the whole world and but yet he forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is about to come in to the glory of his Father, which is with his angels, and then he will give reward to each according to his works. Truly I say to you that there are some standing here who in no way will taste of death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Amen. Lord, we just ask you this morning, there's some confusion going on around about us, but Lord, may we concentrate on your word this morning. You've got something to say to us if we'll hear it. Always, your word always has something to say to us. And so we ask you this morning, Lord, that you would just minister it to us. May we go out of here today having been filled 
by your spirit, with your word, entrusted into our lives. Lord, to better us, we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 I want to talk about take up your cross this morning. Take up your cross. Take up your cross. There's a song that we sing. Maybe we could sing it afterwards. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Take up your cross every day. Uh, the uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, we became familiar with it with them. Don't be afraid to say that you know him. Amen. Count the cost. Take up the cross and follow him. Take up the cross. It's an interesting subject. I've preached about it, like I said before, and but this morning I want to come in in a different direction. I want to think about some things that will definitely are affecting our lives, affecting the church. Thank you, Pastor Rodney, for what you said Sunday night. If you were here, and remember what he said. I've been thinking on these things all week. We think we know what God thinks. And so I'm going to bring that down to the same level about the kingdom. Not just generally about the Lord and his things, but about this kingdom of God. We think we know what the kingdom is. And as long as we think we know what the kingdom is, we're going to keep it that way. So we'll talk about that a little bit. One of the great dilemmas of the church is the failure to understand the Rabbi Yeshua Jesus and what he thinks about the kingdom. We're going to go in possibly, and I was thinking about this, just assigning to our preachers and pastors to take one of the dimensions of the kingdom that's found in the 13th chapter of Matthew. And Jesus said, the kingdom is like unto. And I think I'm going to challenge, I'll, I'll, I'll just assign different ones and, and we can preach on those. Because our view of the kingdom is so misunderstood. Uh, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. But we've inherited, and I've kind of been on this, so if you've been talking to me lately, you're going to hear some things that are repeated. But we have what we have inherited. What we have is what we know. And what we do is what we know. We don't do what we don't know because it's not familiar to us. It doesn't work for us. But when Jesus begins to talk about the kingdom, which he does many, many times, he's trying to show us his kingdom in allegories and metaphors in ways that possibly he calls them, he calls them parables that we can see one thing that will help us sort of naturally in the natural to see something spiritual. And so he talks about a number of things. But he says the kingdom of God is like unto. And if it was so easy that you just get it the first time, he'd only have to say it one time. But he says it over and over and over because the kingdom of God is very complex. And one little direction isn't enough. He's going to say it time and time again, the kingdom. How shall, he said, at one point he said, how shall I liken the kingdom of God unto you? You're, you're not, 
you're not receiving it. It's not lodging in you where it should be lodging. And and down we we've brother Dustin, we're all on the same page. And I, I was thinking about we were talking about this the other night. It is that ultimately the disciples are ready to call down fire out of heaven after he's told them to go out and preach the kingdom. And, and so they're taking the ideas of men and the ideas of the what Jesus calls the Gentile nations and trying to plug them into the kingdom. And it just isn't working. So the Lord over and over trying to describe. We think we know what he wants. We think we know the heart of God. And in reality, it's our perception acted out. So to find the heart of God, what do you do? You have to go back to the rabbi's teachings about the kingdom. Because we set in place, and, and we say of ourselves that we are, we are not in, we're non-denominational, right? What are you? Who are you with? Well, we're non-denominational. We're with Jesus. Can everybody say amen? We're like non-denominational. So that kind of frees us now. But does it really? Does it free us from what we think the kingdom is? We know what denomination does. Puts everything in a box. And as long as you stay in the box, you're in the denomination. But you get an idea outside of the box, you're out of the denomination. And so you go to another one, find another one. Well, this one will work a little better for me because I have more ideas. But then, ultimately, when you get to the place where you disagree with some of their tenets, then you're out again. And so it's an, it's an interesting thing. Can you imagine what Jesus thinks when he looks at that? He doesn't have a hundred kingdoms. He just has one. Now, are there different parts and pieces that make up that? Yes, yes. But he doesn't have a thousand churches. He just has one glorious church. He speaks to one glorious church, right? We are the ones. Somebody say amen. Not the Lord. He didn't divide it up. We are the ones that have made divisions from one another in the body of Christ. You wonder, could those divisions ever be broke back down? Boy, I'll tell you what, they're strong. When you take a division and you build on it, it has to support itself. So the next generation has to be taught how to support that division and how to stay in that box and raise your children to stay in that box. And all of you that know that you came up through whatever it was, Pentecostal, Pentecostal Church of God, Assembly of God, Church of God, um, you might have come through uh, one of the 800 divisions of Baptist. You might have come through Methodist. I mean, there is, they're everywhere, and churches are everywhere all over this town, and here lays all these divisions. Why can't the church of God get together as one church? Is because all of the divisions and the misunderstanding of what the kingdom of God is really about. So I fear that we do the same thing. Echoes of Calvary's got it figured out now, y'all. And so we're going to proceed as Echoes of Calvary. And, and anybody that really wants to get in the real church can come to ours. That's danger. That's danger. 
Again, Mark Hamby said, one of the great downfalls of every organization or denomination is that if you have some truth, you think you have all truth. So, Lord, help us be aware of that. Lord, help us be aware of that. <clears throat> so, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness has really just become no more than a worn-out slogan. Do you believe that seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness still is the order of God? If we really believe that seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness is His order, then our order is meaningless. If we really believe that. I think with our hearts bent to the devices of our own, we help Jesus build His church. Not on righteousness and not on the Son of righteousness and the King of righteousness, but we build after our own desires and our own ideas and our own devices. And uh, hang with me a little bit this morning. Sometimes we have to, you know, demolish a few things so we can... Do you ever remodel a house? How many watch the flip stuff where they come in and flip, you know? That is so much fun. I mean, you watch that in an hour. It's a half hour. That house has gone from just rubble to, oh, it's just so nice now. If you've ever tried it, you will know the, the, the rigors. Oh, boy, it's a mess. And you tear one thing down, and you find out something else was rotten inside of there, and then you tear that down, and you just keep going. Pretty soon, you know, we've, we've done some of that. And I got to the place said, we, we should just take a big tractor, smash this thing down, and start over. <clears throat> but sometimes in the spirit, we have the same thing. There's a lot of houses been built. There's a lot of kingdoms been built, a lot of ideas that are out there. And the Lord says, well, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna come back and we're going to try and make that new again, but we've got to tear out the rot. We've got to get the, the stuff out that's not right and refix it and redo it and remodel it. And, and I think as the church goes, this is exactly what we've got. We've built things not on righteousness. We've built things on how we feel. And so we proceed with these impulses and feelings that we have, thinking that that must be godliness because I feel it, I think it, I was in prayer and something came to me, and so this must be godliness, and then begin to build a structure on that and find out later that all it is is just exclusion from the body of Christ. And so I think beware of that in our lives. The church is built mainly right now around us in a lot of places on lost leaders. Everybody know what a lost leader is? Any, anybody that's been in sales, you know about lost leaders. Let me, let me read you what it is. A lost leader strategy involves selling a product or a service at a price that is not profitable, but is sold to attract new customers or to sell additional products and services to those customers. This is the mantra of building the kingdom of God. We'll get you in here at a loss, but we're getting new customers. 
And if we can get new customers in, and then we can fill the loss because this is what they do with the loss leader. You go in there, and they've got pop at a price that they are not can't even buy it for. But if you'll come and buy the pop, you're probably going to buy a lot of other things too. And so Kay's dad, who was just a great salesman, he knew this, and, and he would... He would sell things at a loss. Some, okay, you want to buy that bird? I'll give you the cage. And he would lose the money on the cage, but he would sell the bird. He made a lot of money doing that. People like that. I do. I do. I like to buy three tires and you get the next one free. I like that. That just a, that appeals to me. But it's a lost leader. It appeals to church building. We'll sacrifice some things so that we can fill it up with others. And so what happens, we lose the convicting impact of the gospel. But everybody's happy. Everybody's pleased. Everybody feels good. And when they leave church that morning, they are just, everything is just right. Get to the restaurant, and everybody is as happy as can be. And we have lost the convicting, gripping power of the true gospel of Jesus Christ so that people will feel better about themselves. And that's nothing but a loss leader. We'll take the Word of God. We'll lose the respect of the oracles of God, the Scripture, the writ, the holy writ of God and make it say what we want it to say and break it down to the place that it loses its effect and it loses the original intention in the Scripture. We'll break it down by versions. If you don't like the version you have, get another version until it's all watered down to the place. We have lost the very oracles of God, but look at all the people that are filling places and seats and look at the money that's coming into the coffers. So at the risk of losing one thing, we're gaining it all somewhere else. And so what we've built is a kingdom that is built not on the Word of God. It's built upon the will of the people. And so the Lord is stirring our heart to say this absolutely is not the direction of the kingdom. By advertising that the church is all things to all people. And this, <coughs> it may not say it directly out, but in essence, if you want your church to grow, it's got to be all things to all people. It's got to fit every little nuance of everybody's life. So we've got to have, I mean, we've got to have so many ministries to cover everybody's feeling. Everybody has another idea. We've got to start another ministry and get something else going because we've got people coming in who are one way and other people are another way. And, and, and so we've just got to fill the place with all kinds of ministries. And we're all things to all people. And Jesus' kingdom is not all things to all people. His message is very exclusive. His message is right, and it's whosoever desires, whosoever wills. It's not our place to persuade people to come into the kingdom. 
But it is our place to preach this gospel. And then whosoever will, let him take up his cross and follow Jesus. You don't get to carry somebody else's cross. I say this. Jesus carried his cross. And he will not carry yours. So the answer to that is, well, then we don't need a cross. Jesus did the finished work. No, you're not reading the Scripture accurately. Again, it's not to fit you. It's to fit Him. But if we can make the church all things to all people, then, then we can minister both to God and to community at the same time. And so we get the idea of a church that favors community and makes community accepted in the church. And Jesus never did that. He never built his kingdom on the Grange Hall. He never built his kingdom on City Hall. He built his kingdom on his word and his truth. On his message, which was very direct. I've been accused of preaching too direct, too hard, too harsh, too direct. I'm just a servant. You wouldn't want to sit in Jesus' sermons. In this environment where both God and community are gathered together under one flag, there is nothing required of the servants. I want to tell you one of the secrets of mega church. Are you ready? Everybody ready? Got a lot of movement this morning, but, you know, we're, we're, we're good. Everybody keep focusing. <clears throat> One of the secrets of megachurch, can you produce megachurch? Oh, I, I think you can. But what you're going to preach is there is nothing required of you. In fact, in megachurch, you're not even in any way responsible, liable for anything. You come in the back, nobody knows you're there. You go through the thing, you go home, nobody, nobody knew you were there. They don't care if you're there. Um, um, you just come and be, but there is no responsibility leveled on the servants. And I'm going to tell you in the kingdom of God, that is absolutely false. There is responsibility leveled on the servants of Jesus Christ. Say, so I want to be a servant of Jesus Christ, but I don't, want, I don't want him to expect anything out of me. Wrong. Wrong kingdom. His mandate, take up your cross, is not even relevant to church anymore. I've heard it so many times that people have said, no, Jesus carried the cross and you don't have to, but he did not take out his pencil and erase his word. It's very clear. Anyone that desires to come after me, he will deny himself. He will take up his cross, and he will follow me. And so that mandate that comes down from the king of the kingdom, I don't think we have the right then to absolve his words. Can you say amen? Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Now, this dawned on me the other day, and I've been reading the Bible all my life, and it dawned, something dawned on me. This statement, take up your cross 
and follow me is back in the early ministry of Jesus. Everybody agree with that? From our point of view, we look at Jesus already having take up his cross, took up his cross, and, and so by example, allegorically, we follow <coughs> the example of Jesus, right? These guys, they're just affronted with this. Take up your cross. He doesn't even tell them at this point that he's going to a cross. What do you mean take up my cross? They know what the crucifixion is about because the Roman Empire crucified those assailants, those that stood against the Roman Empire who committed enough crime that it was capital punishment. They placed them on crosses in populous places. They placed them by roadways. They wanted the public to be sure and see this during the feast time. This isn't an accident about these men being crucified with Jesus and one named Barabbas, who his name means the son of the father. They got to choose between which son of the father that they wanted to crucify. And they chose Barabbas was set for the cross. The two other criminals that died with Jesus were set for the cross. And there are hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem. As many as up to a million or more would come to the Passover. And so when Rome placed those men on crosses dying out there outside the city limit, everyone knew what that was about. So when Jesus says to his disciples, <coughs> take up your cross, it must have been bone chilling to them. Because they don't understand, maybe physically, he's telling them they're going to a cross. But it's so brash. There's some things about the cross that, that you've got to understand. If he's going to say, take up your cross, then you have already been condemned, you've already been sentenced, and your cross is laying there for you to bear. Now, said of Jesus, after his sentence, after he whipped him, that he took his cross and went forth bearing his cross with him out to Golgotha. And this is the picture. The cross is there, and you're not carrying the cross until you come to a condemnation, until there's a time in your life where you're going to be sentenced and tried, and that cross then is going to mean something to you because to take that up, the verdict has already been passed over you, and then there's a couple of other things. There is, there's no retreat from the cross. There is no communicating of that sentence for you. That cross has already been ascribed to you, and you will take it up, and you will die on that cross. You've lost all your rights. You've lost all your power to appeal. The cross is there, and now you will take it up and go out to the place of death. It's pretty gloomy. I mean, if we look at Christian and the kingdom and, and everything that's being taught, Let's, let's forget that side of it, okay? Let's just go over to the lovey-dovey stuff. It just feels so much better. 
And God loves you with the love. He just wants to come down and lay a, 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 just a wet kiss upon you and love you and just love you. And, then, and Jesus said, now take up your cross. Come on, men. Stop looking for a sloppy wet kiss and take up a cross. Take up a cross. We'll find out who are men. Yeah, no, I don't want that way. I, I want to go a different way. I don't, I don't want the cross way. And so... The cross. Without the cross, there's no kingdom. Without the cross, there is no kingdom of Christ. By the design of God. Used to sing, <coughs> hear a song saying once in a while, it said that he, he grew the tree that he knew would be the cross. He grew it. It was the plan of God for the cross. That wasn't the plan of men. That was the plan of God. He designed it just like he designed the day of death, just like he designed the Passover, just like all of the prophecies of the Old Testament came down to that day and that moment. God had already designed that there would be a cross. Jesus' conversation with Pilate about his kingdom and about being a king really was ultimately Pilate was there to put him on a cross. He's got to go in front of Pilate. The Jews could stone. The Jews had some other measures and manners, but if he's going to be crucified, he's got to stand in front of Pilate, and Pilate is going to have to condemn him to that cross, but this is the design of God. Pilate, you have no power of your own. You only have the power that has been given to you, and you have the power to execute me on the cross, and he does not try and get out of it or away from it, and say, oh, no, anything but crucifixion. He knows what the deal is. The deal is, is that he's going to the cross. And when he tells his disciples that they will, that they will arrest me and they will try me and they will execute me, he already knows by what means. The cross. Let me say, why a cross? I've always kind of wondered this, you know, in kind of a lighter moment here. If they would have cut his head off with a sword, would you be wearing a sword on your ears? Would you have one dangling from your necklace? What about a guillotine? They cut his head off with would you have guillotines hanging from your ears? <clears throat> That's just a lighter moment. Think about that for a minute. But the impact of the cross is this picture. Of how ugly sin is. Brutal. Hideous. Sin is ghastly. You think the picture of the cross looks bad. You ought to look into hell. Where there is no return. There is no, there is no help. There is no God comfort. Jesus is going to die a death. That looks hideous. It looks horrible. It is ultimately most painful of any death. And that's on purpose because he knows that, that he must be exposed as taking on all the sin of the world. Can you say amen? I'm glad Jesus took my sin. How, how many of you have ever sinned? You get your hands up there right now. And that sin has been placed 
on him. Wow. It's an ugly picture. The cross can be an ugly picture. It, Hollywood can't do justice. I know, uh, what's his name, Mel Gibson, he, they tried. But they can't literally take a whip and pull the chunks of meat off of somebody's back and literally put nails through their wrist and have them there dying, gasping, trying to catch their breath and heaving up and down. There's no way that Hollywood can depict what Jesus did, the most horrible, awful death, the cross shows a death that's what it does and it is a tormentive awful pitiful picture of death and sin and then Jesus says to them take up your cross and follow me i don't know if the gospel's for the for the weak i don't know if the gospel is meant for people who have no gumption People who just want to jump on the ride and take the ride. Is the gospel meant for those that it costs you nothing? Is the gospel just for the person who, oh, by the way, I just want to jump on the Christian bandwagon? Or does it really mean something to take up the cross and follow Jesus Christ? Paul says in Galatians, the 6th chapter and 14th verse, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only place of glory is the cross of Christ. Through whom the world has been crucified to me and then I, this last part and I to the world this is two parts the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Do you see that? What Jesus did. The world has been crucified to me and now I've got to crucify this man to the world. Oh, pastor, you know, this is ridiculous. We don't need to do anything. Let's just ride in on the finished work of Christ. I've been crucified with Christ, Galatians 4, 4.20. But I live, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Let me tell you this. If there is no cross, there is no Christ. Oh, the Christ is going to the cross. So if no one goes to the cross, there is no Christ. Let me tell you something else. If there is no cross, there is no Christian. Both his and yours. The person who rejects either the cross of Christ or their own cross cannot be a follower of Jesus Christ. Prove it, Pastor. I'll prove it to you. He said it. Whoever will not take up their cross cannot be my disciple. Can't, can't be in my rabbin order called the church, called the kingdom. So, we have this, again, I use that word dilemma in front of us. <coughs> We've invented a kingdom. We've invented a kingdom without a cross. 
The most modern thing is to get away from the blood stuff, to get away from the, the, the cross and the torture. Let's write lovey songs, right? I mean, it's, it's all over everywhere. Let's get away from the blood thing. We don't want that issue. We don't want to deal with that. But I want you to know something. Without the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you are lost. There is no remission for your sin. And thank God for the cross. I will glory in the cross. I will glory in the cross of Jesus Christ. Because that's, that, that's the reason I am who I am. Not because of me, but because of the cross of Christ. And then in return, I am crucified to the world, but, but now I crucify my flesh to the world. He did his job. Now, I need to do my job. So I want to take this in a direction. We will never know the mind of God in the kingdom of God if we do not first crucify the mind of the flesh. And so this is where I'm going this morning. I don't believe that the Lord has mandated for us all to die on crosses here in, in uh, Claremore, all along the roads, and that we're you know, crucified and die along the road. I, I don't think that's what he has mandated. But allegorically... He took a cross, and his people will take a cross. Let me take this direction with the cross that you're going to carry. Your biggest fight in your life, and I'm going to say this to every single person in this place, your biggest fight in this life is not the devil. Your biggest fight is the mind of the flesh. So let's just go, let's go to Romans, 8th chapter. You know the Romans, 8th chapter. Let's go there and uh, read just a little something. Do we have any time left? Oh, yeah, they're still over there talking. <coughs> so this may be like a six-hour sermon here. Amen. So go to the 8th chapter of the book of Romans with me, okay? And so we're going to start. We're just going to go down a ways. I don't want to read it all, but let's start in verse 5. For the ones that are according to the flesh mind... Everybody say flesh mind. We also, it's called the carnal mind. The carnal, all the carnal mind is just, you know, human understanding, human mind, human opinion. And those that are of the flesh mind, mind the things of the flesh. And the ones according to the spirit, mind the things of the spirit. For the mind of the flesh is death. But the mind of the spirit is life and peace. And because of this, the mind of the flesh is enmity towards God or an enemy of God for it is not subject to the law of God neither, neither can it be and those being in the flesh or thinking in the flesh are not able to please God but you're not in the flesh but in the spirit since the spirit of God dwells in you and if anyone has not the spirit of Christ this one is not his but if Christ is in you the body is dead uh, because of sin but the spirit is life because of righteousness but if the spirit of the one having raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the one or the, having raised Christ from the dead will also make your mortal bodies to live through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in you. And now let me say this. The struggle in your spirituality is not the devil. He has been defeated at the cross. He will be defeated in your life at your cross. 
Say, well, I haven't really heard it that way before. Good. Jump something new on you. As long as your mind is engaged, walking around in the flesh, flesh thinking, flesh opinions, flesh ideas, the devil is at home. Well, he's having a blast because the devil can insert. He's, he's, the, he's the thought thrower. That's what the devil is. He's the diabolus. In the Greek, he throws thoughts into your mind. And the culture for him doing that in your mind is your flesh. As long as you think in the flesh, deal in the flesh. And so we read the Word of God, and now I interpret it in the flesh. And along with that comes the devil stuff. Right in with it. Walks right through the door. Oh, man, this is good. I'm at home here. The devil has been defeated in sin. He's been defeated at the cross of Jesus Christ. Now you're going to defeat him by the crucifixion of your own mind. Man, you're talking all about mind power. Yeah, I guess we are this morning, dealing with the mind a little bit. But, but Paul, this is in essence what he said. This is what he says. This is what he says. As long as you think it, you're walking in the flesh. But when the Spirit takes over, now you begin to see things in a different way. Somebody say amen right there. See, we, we found that in salvation. And, and this is what the word, you know what the word salvation is? Metanoia? It means to change your mind. Change the way you think. And so we found that in salvation. I didn't know he was the Savior. I didn't know he could forgive my sin. I didn't know the experience of walking in Christ Jesus. But, but then I met the cross, the Christ of the cross, and I found out that sin has been broken and defeated for those who take the Christ that's on the cross. And so when we did that, we felt, but it wasn't by our mind that we did that. It was by the Spirit of God that drew us away from the mind, thinking that suddenly, okay, wow, this is deeper than just what I think it is. This is the Spirit of God. <clears throat> so punch, some, punch your neighbor. I mean it. Wake him up right now. Punch him good. All right. All right. And so let me say this. If you can take up the cross and realize that it's for death, the purpose of death, but it's not my body that's going on the cross. That's, we just read in Romans. My body's already dead from the cross of Christ. It's my mind. It's my mind, it's my opinions, it's my ideas, it's my thinking, it's how I see things, it's how I perceive. This is what I think, this is how I see it. That needs to go to the cross. And on the cross there, it suffers and dies. The problem is, Jesus said, it's a daily process. <laughs> I thought I could just do this thing one time, man. I'll hit the altar once and it's, guys, we're good to go. 
And then God says, no, 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 every day, because as long as you are, you get up in the morning and you're sucking down air and you look in that mirror and you're trying to fix that guy up and get ready for work or whatever it is that you do, and, and there you are, if you're not careful... The flesh begins to take over, and I'm talking about the carnal mind will rush in. You'll start thinking things that are contrary to what the Word of God says. Wow, I'm sick today. Wow, things are going bad today. Wow, I don't know. Yeah, all kinds of things are coming into your mind. And until you take your mind out and get Him on the cross and crucify Him and say, I'm not listening to the mind of the flesh. I am going to listen to what God has for my life. And so we take Him out there and we nail him. Put nails in our mind. <laughs> Push that cross up. Boom. It falls into the hole. Our mind is dying there, gasping there, trying to recover there, but it's going to a tomb. But this is the beautiful part. If you'll leave it in there long enough, if you'll leave it in there at least three days, and the Spirit of the Lord is going to resurrect in you. Some people want to take a few thoughts and nail them down for, for a minute or two and call it good. No, you leave it in there. You leave it in that tomb and then God is going to resurrect. The same Spirit that resurrected Jesus out of the tomb is going to resurrect you in your mortal body where your mind lives. God is going to resurrect a mind that's not thinking the way the world thinks and sees the, the Scripture the way the world thinks and sees the kingdom the way the church thinks. But God is going to resurrect something in your mind that's going to be fresh and new and clear and holy and right and righteous in your life. Well, I thought you'd be shouting by there because, you know, we love to talk about crucifying our desires, our mind. <clears throat> and so let me say this in closing. When this happens in our life, obedience becomes evident. What keeps me from being obedient to the Word of God? What is it? I love the Lord. How many can say, yes, I love Jesus, I love the Lord. But sometimes I'm not wanting to obey His Word. Now say yes. Mm -hmm. It's the conflict of my will and His, right? My mind and His. If I crucify that mind, and that's why it's so beautiful when we get in church, it's, we're, that's what we're doing. We're crucifying the old flesh when we get in here. I'm going to tell you something. You get down here in early Sunday morning, you don't feel like singing. You're like, oh, man, wow, this is a drag. I'm not going to sing very loud because I don't feel it. And uh, nobody will even know I'm worshiping right. The Lord doesn't know either. And, and we don't feel like it. And, 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 you know, well, look around there. Somebody didn't come to church one time because they ran out of peanut butter. I mean, yeah, that's good enough. What's that? It's our mind. It's our mind that, that, that's, that's fighting against that. But we get down here in church, man, and we feel like this morning we've put our mind on the cross. Can you say amen? It's just glorious. We feel good in the Lord, but it's a practice that we have to do every day. And when that happens in our life, then obedience, obedience begins to be evident. I love what Pastor Rodney said the other day, and I told him we've been talking about this every chance we get. He called Israel out of Egypt. He didn't call them out of there to have church. 
He called them out of there to be obedient. Pastor, I'm trying to be obedient, but I just can't do it. I, I, yeah. Yeah, it's a mind of flesh that's got to hit the cross. Amen. We stop making the kingdom what we want it to be. We start seeking the heart of the Lord when we get rid of our own mind. Say, Lord, let your kingdom come. We sang it this morning. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That's what I want. Can everybody sitting here this morning, can you agree with me and say you want that? But it's easy here. Amen. Lord, help us. How many can say with me this morning, I need help? I need help. <clears throat> and the help that Jesus has given me is a cross. Take that dude out there and, and put him on that cross. Say, Lord, nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ lives in me. Can you say amen? Christ lives in me. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. You know what that word mind is there? Let the opinion of Christ be in you. Well, that's different. You know, I just want supernaturally some kind of morphing of my mind. No, no. Let the opinion of Christ be in you. How do we do that? We get rid of our opinion and he comes in. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. We just bless you, Lord. <coughs> now I would say this. To the church, we want to seek the kingdom. Amen? We want to seek his kingdom. I want his kingdom will to be done, his work to be done. We do what we know. We do what we know. But what God ever calls us into obedience, it's going to be to the kingdom use. Amen? We say, God, let your kingdom, let your kingdom just, just come the way that you presented it, the way you want it. Would you stand with me? God bless you.